Welcome to Drafting Compliance. I'm Kane, he's Tom, and today we have a special guest, Mark Haupt. Last time we talked about contingency planning. Today we're talking about a story that Mark shared with us from when he was working to get his organization, FedRAMP, authorized. And because we have a guest on, we're doing tea reviews, not beer, <laughs> as requested by Mark, who says that he takes his tea black. Uh, Mark, welcome to the show. Uh, tell us about your choice of tea. Well, my, my tea today is just a very simple iced tea from McDonald's. That's actually my favorite. Uh, they, they, just like with Coke and other things, they've got this special blend that works perfect. Fantastic. So we've got that. To Tom, that. what do you got today? You, have you snuck a beer into the show? No, I, I am, uh, I am sticking with our typical glasses. So this is my beer glass. But I'm drinking Snapple peach tea today, which is my favorite tea. It's something I drink a lot of. It has three ingredients. It's got tea, it's got peach juice, and it has sugar, and I'm a big fan of the sugar as well. So that's what I'm drinking today. <laughs> cool. Well, I didn't know. I thought it would be sacrilegious to drink iced tea out of a beer stein or a beer glass. Tom, am nah. I using the right word, beer stein or beer glass? Which one is it? Uh, we we are not. These are not steins. These are glasses. So. Okay, so these are beer glasses. Well, I apparently have Lipton Pure Leaf uh, Brewed Tea, um, which I am not familiar with, actually. So um, at least I'm trying the, something something new. The bottle will be really full. You know, what's really nice here also is that I do not need to worry about uh, the head on this thing. This is already the best show, I think. We should have Mark <laughs> on every time from now on. Well, let's – hey, I'm, I'm willing to do that, but uh, – Oh, wow. This is not terrible. This is actually, I think, to date, this is the best thing I've drank on this show. Um, we will do tea <laughs> reviews at the end, but this has got kind of a taste of lemon and a taste of tea, which is um, not a taste of beer. There you which go. It's kind of awesome. Well, then, then maybe next time you got to try a, an Arnold Palmer or something like that. Oh, a little, I like a little lemonade with a little bit of tea in it, right? The sweetness in it and the tartness all at the same time. Oh, absolutely. I remember I was out uh, at a business lunch with uh, an intern who just recently joined the company and, you know, it's business executives and we're ordering our drinks and I get an Arnold Palmer and goes to the intern who's sitting to my left and he gets a scotch and soda. And we're all like, <laughs> oh, no, because <laughs> he thought that this was a good time to apparently get lit. He didn't know that an Arnold Palmer was just um, iced tea and lemonade. Yeah, it was, it well, was much hilarity by all. Back in back in the day when I was very much younger, I was part of. I can't remember what it's called now, but it was basically a, a bunch of high school kids that went into a college campus to uh, be simulated government type of thing, a boys' state. That's what it was called. And I was up in Maine, and all the college kids having party fun on Friday night. They're offering everybody Long Island iced teas and. Luckily, I chose not to do that because I wasn't aware of what it was, but I've <laughs> since found out, of course, what it was, and I'm glad that I didn't, at age 16, grab one of those. Because who knows what would have happened, especially oh the goodness. next morning at 6 a.m. when I had to be up and running. Yes. Uh, yeah, that, that would have made for a hard time. And and just pivoting to the con- to what we were talking about before, because that's another story, um, I suspect there's more. But before we, we started recording, you were telling me a story, Mark, about uh, – 
you were in the approval process with FedRAMP. You uh -huh. had your security assessment report, your SAR, and you said that the GSAs changed the rules on you. So can, can we start there with the uh, an overview of your experience with FedRAMP and the specific incident you mentioned where, sure. I guess, rule changes affected your security assessment report? Absolutely. But let's let's start just a slightly bit before that. And, and for those of you who have not been a, through a FedRAMP authorization, just keep in mind that leading up to this point, which we're going to talk about, takes nine to 12 months okay, of a lot of work, a lot of money by a company. And the average is $1.5 million to get to this point. So what happened was, is this is, uh, this is October 2017, I think, that's 18, roughly that time frame. We had everything done. We were our auditors, assessors were completed. They took it, the security assessment to the FedRAMP GSA. And in that time frame, there came out a whole bunch of uh, issues and vulnerabilities about Kaspersky being a vulnerability because oh, they're based I in Russia. That's yeah. supply chain yeah. issues. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so the federal government said, no more Kaspersky. We, we thought, okay, well, we're not using Kaspersky. That's fine. But then when we got in front of the GSA, they said, oh, by the way, it's not just no more Kaspersky. It's now we're viewing all uh, antivirus product that has metadata being removed from the environment. We're viewing that metadata as something that needs to be controlled in the same manner. We're like, okay, fine. We'll be happy to go back and meet any of those requirements. And they said, oh, no, no, you don't understand. We're not passing you until you've met those requirements. And of course, to make a very long story short, it took us uh, another six months to do that because we had to go out and go back to our AV company. We had to uh, move the product from the cloud to on-premise, stand up servers. We had to get those servers tested and validated by the, the FedRAMP assessors and go through the SAR process again, all of the penetration testing, and then represent uh, ourselves to the FedRAMP GSA before we could get approval. So they bottom line is they didn't accept the fact that they they changed the rules midstream they were just they said well nope this is a, an emergency directive you have to comply and we can't pass you until you of course mark so it was it was fun th that is indicative i think of any time you're working with the government where you're sort of mm -hmm. at whim uh, or at their whim for yeah. sure you know it's, right. it's interesting to me that that is the sing was that a singular point of change for them or had they changed a number of things and that was just the one that they happened to to drive for. No, that, that was a singular singular point, a singular issue, specifically about Kaspersky, and wrapped up in that, there were little little nuances that said, hey, you know, metadata is not allowed to go out for antivirus product. Where previously you were able to have a product that wasn't FedRAMP authorized because the data leaving the the environment really wasn't anything that was of significance. Yeah, it wasn't CUI. Uh, still isn't, quite frankly. But, uh, you know, that that's the rules. You know, it's it's their way or the highway. And, you know, it, you have to look at it from one perspective. You have to look at it. That's a good thing. They're protecting government data. But what's interesting to me is how many times just in the past couple of weeks, we've seen government entities that are actually GOV entities that are hacked because they're not following their own rules. But they apply the rules very stringently to CSPs. providers, yeah. cloud service providers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I know CISA had a, a bit of a moment there in the media, um, and I believe at least one of the internet-wide scanners found a whole bunch of things that were not compliant. Right. But I want to I want to go back to something, and um, Tom, let me, let me put this question to you. Um, 
Mark had mentioned something about a security assessment report or an SAR. Uh, could you tell us a little more about the significance of the SAR and how it's going to factor into the FedRAMP approval process for our viewers who aren't familiar? Sure. Well, the SAR is an absolute requirement. So you're, you're going to have to create a SAR. You're going to largely, at least in our in our Im implementation, we're going to rely on our 3PAO to help us create that SAR. So if, for those who don't understand what 3PAO, it's a third-party authorization organization. So it's really a consulting firm that comes in. They've gone through a whole bunch of additional uh, gates themselves to get uh, designated as a 3PAO. But they, they will, in our instance, create the, the SAR report. Uh, and then they'll, they'll walk it through uh, the process on the agency side. So, you know, Mark, I'm, I'm curious, did you go agency or did you go uh, right to the, the jab? No, we are we are agency. We avoided the jab for a lot of different reasons, but straight to the agency. Yeah, I I am I am avoiding the the jab for all those same reasons <laughs> reasons you did. I'm I'm I, certain. I'm sure you are. We we could probably have an hour long conversation about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so came to put a final point on the SAR. If if you don't understand that and you're going through FedRAMP, um, you're, you're going to have a bad time. That's a that's a key pivotal document that you have to have in order to get through the process. Okay. Well, not only have to have, but be able to understand how to read it because the results of that are going to be dependent on whether you make it through and what happens the following year as you fix things or do things that prepare for the next year. Correct. Yeah, and so it's, it sounds like those rule changes of um, disallowing antivirus with metadata or exfil were kind of <laughs> caused all kinds of chaos. Um, mm -hmm. Were you notified about those rule changes before your SAR was completed or even after your SAR was completed, but before you submitted your package? Well, that depends on who you ask. Um, so <laughs> the answer, the, the, my, my answer to that is no, we were not adequately informed of the requirements that were put there. We were informed that the Kaspersky situation was causing changes. We were informed that there would be, in fact, further requirements on us going down in the future. There was no indication that the uh, GSA would take such a hard line on the situation. And it may be because this was the first time where Russian infiltration was concerned or, or alleged. Um, mm -hmm. And so maybe they took a hard line on that. I don't know. Since then, I know from other stories from other people, they've taken similar hard lines. So it's also possible they had a policy change on the inside that they never really shared with us. But um, our 3PAO did inform us that the Kaspersky issue existed. They did inform us that in the future we might have to make some changes before our next assessment. But everybody, including our 3PAO, believed that we were ready to go. You know, because you know, going back to the SAR, getting through this process is also part of the responsibility of the 3PAO, and it. it uh, getting through it, it uh, reflects upon their own integrity and their own ability. Mm. So it's almost as though the CSP and the and the uh, 3PAO go together as a team. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, unified front. Now, now in the right. you know if you're lucky and you've you've picked a good agency or a good 3PAO organization, you know they're going to make up the you know, the, the forward element in terms of, of going to war with the government over ATO. But, um, you know, cer certainly they're going to guide you and protect you, um, you know, if, they, if they're worth their weight in, 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 in payment, I suppose. Well, yeah, it's interesting, though, that, again, with our story, 
our agency didn't care. Um, and I, I guess that's a little flippant to say. Of course they cared. They didn't, they didn't have a concern. They signed off on the SAR and did not have a concern. Even when we approached them after what we dealt with in GSA, we used them to come back in proper channels of the government and appeal the situation, our agency said, oh, we're, we're fine with what you're doing. Just correct it for the next time. And the GSA absolutely said no. And at that time, they had the backing DHS with CISA as well. Hmm. Right. And you, you said that that blew your schedule out by, oh, yeah. I think I think you'd said um, six months. So w- were there any other significant challenges that came up as a result of that six-month delay? Sure. So the cost of it, um, we had to go back and renegotiate with our vendor. I had, I, my own integrity, you know, I had been communicating ac- adequately and accurately to my C-level um, leadership organization saying, hey, we're going to have this in about three months. And at, at that point, it was actually moving to the point where we were, I, I was telling we were going to have it within 30 days, uh, the actual authorization. And then when we didn't, that impacted the customer uh, that was with us. We actually lost a customer because it took us another six months to be authorized. They needed to go to an authorized CSP faster. Um, and also caused some, some bad will if they broke contract and of course they ended up wanting some a payback as a result of that. So there was a lot of financial costs. I, I would say close to half a million dollars or more by the time we paid the, C, uh, the 3PAO, by the time we paid the vendor, we built the servers that were inside. What I did is I got my entire team together in Salt Lake City we just pulled everybody in, flew them all in, and said, we're going to pound this out in about a two-week period to get it ready because then we had to change all of our documentation in our SSP and everything in order to prepare it for the uh, two- to three-month process that 3PAO need to go through to revalidate everything because of all the changes that we made to it. To, right, we had to add uh, – we ended up actually, because of that, it wasn't just the antivirus that we had to change. We also had to change a couple of other uh, software as well that our 3PAO advises says you know what uh, based upon the way they responded uh, in October November time frame let's just let's just uh, replace these other pieces of software as well because we don't want to get back through the process by replacing antivirus and then turn around and find out well next one you know the next one's going to get knocked out as well so we just brought it brought it all back in so yeah. we, we spent quite a bit of money that's smart i think you know you, you mentioned you had to renegotiate with the 3pao mm-hmm. and extend their contract how much ownership yep. did they take uh in that process um well they they took a lot of ownership in it um but more so from the fact that they were helping me because my my leadership my ceo and coo were really questioning whether or not I'd been telling them the truth all along, or if I was covering up delays that I was making. Um, I mean, that, that's just a natural, that's a natural thought process. Sure. It's like, it Hey, is. you know, you've been telling us 30, 30 days, 90 days, 60 days, 30 days. And then all of a sudden now you're telling us six months and I've got to spend all this other money. Mark, what did you do wrong? And so my three PAO stood up and they came in, they talked to our CEO and CEO and they told them, no, Mark has been telling you the truth, exactly what we've been telling him all this time is what we believe. So there was a credibility issue um, that both of us had to get through as well. Once we got through that, then it was 
then it became a fairly smooth sailing for both sides. But in the 3PO's defense, they did they did give us a financial break on it because they realized that we're, we're all, you know, that they advised us correctly, but they're all taken aback by the situation. But they also needed to cover their costs because they were also having to slide some of their other assessments off because the people that were on our assessment, mm. we needed to wrap that up. So we had to we had to work work around a lot of issues. To it sounds like they're a good yeah, partner. Yeah, it sounds like there's really a partnership there, just as Tom mm-hmm. said, actually. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, well, and, and to this Mark, day, you've I'm got still it. friends with the guy that, that See, that's the thing. That's the thing. It sounds like you have to be friends, or at least friendly, mm-hmm. uh, which is a different relationship than we have with a lot of the auditor assessment community, <laughs> where it can be a little more contentious or adversarial. But I wanted to ask, in addition to like treat your 3PAO nice, um, what other key lessons would you say you learned from this experience with uh, the FedRAMP rule changes? Uh, first and foremost, I'm not going to tell my C-level people absolutes anymore. I'm going to share with them these stories and say, look, this is where I think we're at, um, but this is the kind of thing that could happen. Luckily, same C-level, CEO, COO type of individuals that are in my company now are, are the same that were then, so we have that. So if I were to move to a different company, you know, that's one thing I would learn. Um, secondly, is I would learn to, you know, business doesn't typically, especially small business, doesn't typically go uh, very conservative. And the government is extremely conservative. And I'm not saying that from a political perspective, of course. I'm saying it on a, a slow to implement and and how they view risk and so on and so forth. So that's one of the things I learned in this process as well, is to be conservative uh, with the timing, uh, consider the worst case scenarios and and always go towards the safest side of things because that's the way the government seems to operate. Great lessons. Tom, anything you think we can apply from this lesson here from Mark? <laughs> well, there's, you know, I learn from anybody I come across and certainly Mark is no different. You know, I, I would say we've been pretty conservative with um, our approach, but been aggressive still with our timeline. And, you know, there's probably some messaging in there that I should uh, at least consider. Uh, so I'll take that lesson back. And uh, I'll tell you one thing I've learned from Mark, and that's I'm going to go and check our antivirus solution uh, this afternoon. So, Well, it's it's gotten even more stringent uh, since that situation. I mean, it, it, you can go through your antivirus and make sure it still qualifies, but uh, we recently switched over antivirus and just gone to the point now we've only looked at and selected another uh, antivirus, anti-malware product that is already so that's how I'm moving forward. If I'm going to put something inside of my environment, I'm only going to select a product that's already authorized. I'm not going to try and shoehorn them in. That's, that's part of the conservative thought process: is don't don't fight it, don't don't yeah. don't fight the government because you're not going to. Well, it also sounds like some of this is applicable to broader compliance efforts that you might be undertaking, Mark, where you where communicating absolute deadlines and taking a more conservative approach towards things might be successful, whether you're doing uh, Sarbanes-Oxley or whether you're doing PCI or whether you're doing FedRAMP. Is that a fair well, assessment? I would say that uh, with FedRAMP go very conservative, go, go more middle of the line with those other items talked about because lots of times you're dealing with auditors that have their own deadlines and it's a it, it's a process that is very predictable you're not going to have a change from CI or a change to HIPAA that's midstream they just don't do that the SOC the SOC, uh, SOC 123 they don't do change midstreams 
probably the only other one that's like this would be uh, State Ramp yeah. okay. uh, or maybe High Trust, where they mm. have boards uh-huh. that govern themselves. I, you know, we, I've, I've not seen this out of PCI. They have their own board that governs themselves. They really, uh-huh. they really two to three years to implement. But there are boards in High Trust and, and other types of situations that govern, and they could issue very quick edicts like that that change the process. But things like ISO 27001, like PCI. Well, that goes like a HIPAA. while in between updates, doesn't yeah. it? I think it was it, it nine does. years. <laughs> yeah, not, you know, five, five to ten years sometimes. Uh, I think we went six years on PCI with another three years to fully implement. And HIPAA, it's been since 2009, since high-tech uh, high came into play and the updates on, on HIPAA. So, you know, you're you're you've got some runway with those where and some predictability whereas bed ramp don't like I said high trust you may not so we as CISOs well, tend to talk- be tend to be pretty conservative just in general so what you're really saying yeah. is you know step even further towards a conservative range when you're when you're dealing with fed ramp which i think is very very <laughs> when, smart when it comes to estimates yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah which is which is very difficult for a an entrepreneurial business that typically doesn't deal with government. I mean, I would say probably 95 or more percent of our business is not governments. And so we want to operate independently. We want to operate in accordance with our board. We want to operate in order to make money. The government doesn't quite look at it that way. And that's that's a fair point and fair consideration and something we might explore in a, a, a future episode. But Mark, mm-hmm. th- we've hit the point in the show where we talk about what we've been drinking. Um, I want to yep. uh, say that this is my favorite beer. Uh, <laughs> if anybody ever asks me my favorite beer, I'm going to say li- uh, Pure Leaf Real Brewed Tea, best beer I've had this year, bar none. I would change your um, I would change your language. Light, it's lemony. <laughs> I would change your language, <laughs> sure. Kane, and I would say your best brewed drink. Because it, it, it isn't a beer, but I it is a brewed drink. Yes, that is, is true. I have had kombucha before as well, and it's kind of, ugh, it's not my thing, although I hear it's very popular. But that's my that's my beer review on this one. This is 10 out of 10 on a beer scale. Uh, on a nice tea scale, I don't have one of those, but it's quite good. <laughs> nice. Mark, I like, Tom, what I like about you? Brew. How are you rating yours? And, and Mark, how are you rating yours? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll say this. Um, it's not a beer, which I have come to appreciate being able to drink a beer during a, a work engagement here, you know, here with this show. But mm-hmm. uh, this is still very good. This is, you know, Snapple Peach Tea. I drink it all the time anyway. So it's, uh, it's a nice nod to something I like very much. And in terms of my favorite teas, it is my favorite tea. So it's a 10 out of 10. Easy day. Mark? Well, mine's a 10 out of 10 because it's not too strong and not too, not, not too light. It's, like it's got that perfect flavor that overcomes the blandness of water. So I'll give it a, I'll give it a nine or a 10 out of a 10. This is where, this is my go-to. Awesome. And with that, that's all for today. Uh, please do like, and subscribe to not miss any updates with that. Again, thank you, Mark, for joining us, Tom. Great seeing you as always. Thank you. Thank you.